Welcome to the Earning the Push podcast, a show that's on the air by wrestling fans for wrestling fans to do the two things we love the most, talk about the current wrestling scene and what we would do if we were in charge. My name is Jack Murley. I'm a professional broadcaster and alongside me each and every week to cast his eye over the world of pro wrestling is the pro athlete in our duo. He is the hardcore to my crash, the bubba to my spike, the English announce table to my Spanish announce table. Charlie Beckett, how are you? I'm very well, thanks you, Jack. I'm very well. I'm a little disappointed I'm not the Spanish announce table because that's one of my favourite niche things in wrestling, that any time you saw them make a point of introducing a Spanish announce table, you're like, well, someone's going through it. The Spanish announce table never made it through a pay-per-view, ever, I don't think. But um, no, I'm very well, and I'm just very excited to get chatting wrestling again. Uh, you, you've had a nice little break. I know you've been away on, on your social channels. I've seen you've been out and about. A little a little break from the grind of games uh, this week. Yeah, we had a what did we have? We had a break in the season this weekend. So championship had a break in the season. So we actually got away. Very lucky. Uh, my family have a static caravan on Anglesey, and we got away there for a few days, which was absolutely lovely. And we were very lucky with the weather. Like the forecast was terrible when we went. I think we had one morning of rain, and the other four days were all glorious sunshine. So very, very fortunate. Back to it this week, and anyone who's a rugby fan will know we've got the little test of Saracens away on Monday night. So that will be a, that'll be an interesting one. Back to back to reality with a bump for us for us next week. Yeah. So if on next week's podcast Charlie seems uh, a little bit rattled, a little bit worse for wear, you 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 will know it's been a tough old game. Um, thank you for our debut episode last week. We had so much uh, in the way of lovely response, which is great. We have pages and pages of your fantasy booking for Cena's retirement angle that we'll get into in part two of the show. As always, this is a program for you to get involved with. Uh, you can do it by tweeting Charlie underscore Beckett, Jack underscore Murley, earning the push podcast at hotmail.com. What you're loving in wrestling and what you're hating in wrestling um we are just a few days away from wrestlemania backlash from wwe AEW touring again but i suppose the big thing charlie for wrestling fans last week was blood and guts finally AEW put forward its version of war games you've had a chance to look at it to read about it to get your thoughts together what did you think i didn't love it but i didn't hate it either i thought it was a good match the unfortunate thing for AEW is most of the conversation after has been around the pre-recording of the first half of the show and fans in attendance being pretty miffed that that was pre-recorded and watched on screens. And also the camera work for that ending where it just showed the crash mat that Jericho went through so, so obviously. Now, I've seen a lot of people say this, I want to say it as well. I have zero issues with Jericho going through a crash mat from that fall. I want him to go through a crash mat from that fall. I don't want anyone falling off a cage unprotected. That's not good for them. But I don't want to see the crash map. Like, do you that the camera work has to be better? I think so. It's unfortunate for all of them involved that that's been the major talking point. I also think, from my my professional athlete side, I know the toll physical matches in rugby can have on your career long term. So the same goes for wrestling, I'm sure. And I know the toll that performing when you, I've had huge cuts to the head all over and lost a lot of blood and played. It, it's not particularly fun. It's not good for you long term. So I think blood in wrestling. Is good when it's used correctly. I thought there was a lot, a lot of blood. I know AEW will use it more than um, WWE will, but I, I, in 2021, I'm not sure I want to see that much blood. And it seemed like there was blade jobs, and I don't know if there was or not, but if that's what was done, 
I'm not sure I really want to see that in 2021. It makes me a little bit uncomfortable sometimes, but that just might be my professional athlete side coming out. But a good match, and I just cemented MJF as an absolute superstar. He's he If he is an AEW world champion in the next 12 months, I'd be very, very surprised. See, for me, with something like this that is a debut match, I really enjoyed it for what it was. I thought it was an excellent match, but I think the ending took the... F- took the emphasis out of it, like you say. And I think this is a couple of times now where AEW has got the build to a big match absolutely spot on. We saw it with the exploding barbed wire death match where everything in the build for it made you really want to see it. And by the time you got to the end, your emotion wasn't, oh, wow, it was, ah, okay. And I know there are growing pains as as, as a company growing, um, and I know that we're holding them to the WWE, gold standard, which is production work that has been honed over decades and decades. What did you think of them making the decision to actually leave the cage and, and finish the match by escaping the structure overall and heading up to the top? I, d- I don't mind that at all, because it's something a bit different, isn't it, I think? And that's the thing, this was always just going to get compared to War Games, because it's obviously War Games' baby, isn't it, really? It's their version of War Games. So I don't mind them doing something a little bit different, and I'll never, ever have a go at any company for trying to give us something new and something different, because I think we're very quick as wrestling fans to complain about, oh, we've seen that before. Um, But yeah, I think just the whole ending, like you say, I think the build was brilliant, but it all just fell a little bit flat, didn't it? Which we we spoke about it last week with, um, with Line of Duty, ironically, like... These big TV shows that build up, they have the great build, and then they just they can't deliver on the build. And I think almost AW fallen foul of that. Of their build was so brilliant. Like that parlay segment, the promo segment last week was unbelievable. Like the hype is so huge that anything other than a five star unbelievable classic is going to leave the fans going, ah. Oh. So I think you almost shoot yourself in the foot with a great build like that. But then also, if they're not getting the great build, we're going to complain that we haven't got a good build. We we as wrestling fans are fickle and are very very hard to please, but. I think that was the issue. I think the build set them up for a fall, metaphorically, and then literally when Jericho falls off the cage. But yeah, they they almost built too well that they then couldn't back it up with the match. I I think my issue with it was the whole end of that match was predicated on emotion, right? It was the emotion of Sammy Guevara feeling he could do nothing but quit and throw in the towel and surrender because of what they were going to do to Chris Jericho. But the way they had to shoot it with Jericho on top with MJF and Guevara in the cage meant that you didn't get that emotion. And I know one of your favourite matches, Hell in a Cell, WrestleMania 28, Undertaker, Shawn Michaels, Triple H. You were in that cage and you got the emotion. And I almost wonder whether there'd have been a more compelling end to the match by not sending them up to the top but maybe having MJF doing something with Jericho in the cage, handcuff him, everyone else from the inner circle is down, it's only Guevara who's being made to watch MJF threaten to do something horrific to Chris Jericho, so that way you can get the shots of Guevara's face, you can see the emotion on his face, because it wasn't so much the bump that made me think that the match just fell flat at the end. It was just actually the way they sold it at the end. It was all the focus on the top, and then suddenly Guevara's waving his arms, and then it's over. And you think, oh, I didn't get that emotion of of, of Sammy's struggle. Yeah, you almost kind of need them in the same shot, didn't you, rather than any cutting them being up and down, I think. Yeah, I imagine if AEW had their time again, they'd probably produce it a little differently, so you get that emotion. But 
yeah, it's, it's I'm not I'm not in production. I don't know how hard or easy that is to do. But like like you say, we hold them to the gold standard of WWE. When they get it right with their production, there isn't really a company in the world, any, any sport or business industry, that do production better than them. Like their VT package, some of their filming is better than anything you see. So we're holding them to that standard, which is tough when they're only two years old or so EW. But I think they did um, did let themselves down a little bit there with the production value at the end of the match. Yeah, and, and it's no knock on any of the individuals involved in the match or any of the hard work they put in or any of the risks they took. Um, and I know AEW will bounce back and they will uh, have plenty of big shows, including, uh, we should mention, news coming out shortly before we went to recording, AEW hitting the road again in front of fans, leaving Daly's place where they've been for the best part of nine months, uh, to Miami and then two shows in Texas, this starting on the 7th of July. Um, according to AEW's press release and Tony Khan, uh, they will follow state and local regulations. But AEW beating WWE to the punch and heading out in front of live audiences again, Charlie. It, it's brilliant. Like As long as it's done safely, which they say they will, they'll follow the regulations and follow the rules. Getting fans back in watching wrestling is just the best thing that can happen because I know WWE have got the Thunderdome, which is their best chance of recreating it. But you saw at WrestleMania what it was like having fans back in and just... Fans are going to be so excited to see wrestling live again that whatever happens, the atmosphere in those arenas is going to be absolutely phenomenal. And the wrestlers deserve it more than anyone because they have worked so hard these last 15 months now or so but in front of no one. Like Performing in front of no one is not easy. We've been doing it for the last however long, yeah, over a year now as well. It's so strange. It's so flat. It's just weird. So... And we, we still play our game. like We don't rely on the crowd to build our atmosphere. Like Our game will happen anyway. Rest is a huge part of wrestling is the fan interaction. So it must have been even harder for them, like tenfold. So I just think it's excellent news. I'm sure WWE won't be far behind them. Uh, and yeah, as soon as we can safely get more and more fans into arenas, the better. Charlie underscore Beckett, Jack underscore Murley, and Earning the Push podcast at hotmail.com uh, on Twitter and email, respectively, to get involved. Uh, in part two of the programme, we will be doing some fantasy booking. And thank you to everyone who has got in touch with their fantasy booking on the topic of Cena's last run. I've got pages and pages and pages here, like a whole booking committee of ideas from people like Darren uh, and Andrew and from James as well we will get into those and are earning the push back to developmental segment as well the everyday things we're loving and the things we are just not enjoying but wwe charlie uh wrestlemania backlash a name i absolutely hate just call it backlash that aside on the horizon, just a few days away. Uh, the card is sort of fleshing out nicely. Reigns against Cesaro for the Universal title. Lashley versus Drew McIntyre versus Braun Strowman for the WWE title. Uh, Bianca Belair puts the SmackDown women's title on the line against Bailey. A triple threat for the Raw women's title. Rhea Ripley against Asuka versus Charlotte Flair. SmackDown tag titles on the line as well. Dolph Ziggler and Robert Roode try to prevent Ray and Dominic Mysterio from becoming the first father-son tag champs in WWE history. What are your thoughts on the card? Well, first of all, I despise the name as well. Like, leave WrestleMania out of anything unless it's WrestleMania. Just just call it Backlash, like it's been for so many years so successfully. But I actually think it's a good card, a very good card. Is it Miz versus Priest, but Morrison wrestled him last night on Raw to see if to, to decide the stipulation and then Priest won it's a lumberjack match? You probably tell by the way I'm talking about it. That's the match I'm least interested in. <laughs> I'm not particularly hot on that one. 
I think Ziggler and Rude against the Mysterios will be decent. I'm sure the Mysterios will win because they're not going to pass up the chance to have a father-son tag team champions, are they? They're not going to pass up on that. It's actually quite cool, really. And a really cool moment for Rey Mysterio. I imagine having his son wrestle with him and being able to be tag team champion would be amazing. So I'd be very happy for Rey if that happens. But the other four matches, I think, could all be really, really excellent, actually. And I, I like that... We'll have one in the pre-show, I imagine. So we've got a five-match card, which is sort of takeover length. So you're looking at like a two-and-a-half to three-hour pay-per-view, which is the perfect length, I think. It shouldn't be longer than that. And I think about two or three years ago, especially, WWE fell foul of really having pay-per-views that were way too long. And we were just all we were burnt out by half of the card. So I think Bianca versus Bailey will be an excellent match. I think Bianca has to go over. She has to. I don't see... I think Bailey's great, but Bianca needs a long reign to cement her at the top of that. That card in SmackDown and the SmackDown women's side of things. I think the triple threat between Braun, Drew and Bobby Lashley is just going to be incredibly physical. Just three massive men battering each other for 15 minutes, which I, I, I enjoy. It's not, your, it's not your textbook. It's not going to be your textbook Matt Classic, is it? But there's, there's a place for it. Uh, I think Bobby Lashley will retain in that. Rhea, Charlotte and Asuka... They're three of the best works in the company. I think they could put on an absolute clinic of triple threat wrestling. I always I always worry because triple threats are either brilliant or sometimes you feel like there's just a third wheel in there. So I hope if they get it right, I think that could be sensational. But I think Roman and Cesaro will steal the show because they'll have a great wrestling match and then they'll just be like soap opera emotional drama from Roman Reigns' side of things that there always is now. I'm loving having, let me get the right Uso here, Jimmy Uso back this week on SmackDown, and how he's not quite falling into line, where we all thought he was. So there's that storyline there. So uh, I, I could talk, I could do a whole podcast about how brilliant I think the Tribal Chief storyline is, and that whole bloodline and Paul Heyman being involved is a masterstroke, isn't it? But I'm just really pleased to see Cesaro in a main event. And if he was against any other champion maybe ever, apart from The Undertaker, I'd want Cesaro going over, because he has to be world champion tonight. He's unbelievable. But I just don't. I, I don't want. I don't think I ever want Roman Reigns to lose a universal title. I don't think ever. It, it, it's one of those interesting situations where almost SmackDown, very quietly, very slowly, is becoming like a goodie box for the hardcore wrestling fan. We're sort of getting everything we've always grumbled about over the years. We want Roman Reigns to be heel. Oh, okay. There you go. Have some of that. Well, that's great. But now we want Cesaro to get a title push. Oh, do you? Okay. Well, here we are. We're building him up to that. And you can really sense that that they've they've changed the emphasis to SmackDown being the A show, but they're giving the hardcore fans that little something they want. And and what seems to be working is it seems to be beginning to appeal to the more mainstream audience as well. They're doing some decent numbers on Fox at a time where all television is, is very difficult in a pandemic. And I just think SmackDown is excellent. And I'm really intrigued to see what it's like when you get the great storytelling from SmackDown back in front of those live crowds. I wonder if that is going to be the spark that ignites the show again. Absolutely. I tell you what else I'm enjoying on SmackDown is Pat McAfee on commentary. I think they've got a little gem there in Pat McAfee. Mm. Now, I'm a big fan of his... I'm a big NFL fan, and I'm a big characters in sport fan. I like I like there to be something behind the players, and Pat McAfee is... Anyone who follows him on social media is... He's brilliant. His podcast is excellent. He has taken this role of being a kicker in the NFL, which people kind of put on the back burner and gone, no, 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 kicks are important, and this is why, and he's brilliant. 
Then you see, you see from it, he's, he's a massive wrestling fan. And then he comes and has that unbelievable match with Adam Cole, which was incredible. He then does his work in NXT with only with Lorcan Birch and with Pete Dunne, who I'm a massive fan of. They were a lovely little stable. And now he's just on commentary. And him and Michael Cole just have a... They've just picked up with some great chemistry, I think. And you're a professional broadcaster, so you know how hard it is. And I'm a professional athlete who's done a little bit. I do my podcast a little bit of commentary and I haven't been playing. I know how hard it is to go into that. And he's just turned to it like a duck to war. So I just want to say I'm really enjoying him. I think they've got they've got a little bit of little bit of magic in him on comms. And what makes him special is that he's different. He sounds different. We all love Mauro Ronaldo, or I think most people did, because he sounded different and he sounded passionate. And we all loved, or most of us did, Jim Ross because he had that passion. And Michael Cole, to his credit, on his day in the right situation, has that passion. And I think you contrast someone like Pat McAfee, who's been put in on SmackDown, versus Adnan Verk on Raw who perhaps hasn't got that that base level knowledge. I may be doing him a disservice, but he's not quite had the same positive impact. Takes time to grow into it, absolutely. But McAfee, like you say, duck to water. You can tell, like you say, the contrast in them, that Adnam's an absolute consummate broadcaster, sports broadcaster. You can tell he's not a wrestling man. You can tell he's having to learn on the job about wrestling, about WWE, whereas you can tell while McAfee might not be the professional broadcaster and maybe he makes a slip up here and there in that sense of things, you can see his passion for wrestling and also his knowledge shining through. I think that's more important because I think as wrestling fans especially, we're more forgiving of a little slip up technically as long as you have the passion and the knowledge than we are a slip up on the passion and the knowledge if you're technically sound on comms. I'm sure, like you say, they will both be excellent. But yeah, I'm loving listening to Pat on, uh, on SmackDown commentary. Yeah, and in fairness to Adnan Verk, you talk about a way, a way to bed in in your new gig, live Monday nights, three hours with Vince McMahon or someone else in your ear. It is not an easy gig, so we certainly wish him all the best, but you're right about Pat McAfee. That's a wrestling scene at the moment. In a moment or two after the break, we're going to come back with part two of the podcast, which is always about fantasy booking. At Charlie underscore Beckett is him on Twitter. I'm Jack at, uh, at Jack underscore Murley. I'll get this right. Earning the push podcast at hotmail.com. You see, we talk about how easy it is to be the professional broadcast and there I am mucking up my own Twitter handles. Uh, stay with us after the break. More fantasy booking here on the Earning the Push podcast. So we are back on Earning the Push podcast. Part two of the show is always about fantasy booking. Uh, we will set you a new topic every couple of weeks, two or three weeks, and we will say what we would do. And we thought if this started and it worked well, you would get involved with what you would do. And I've got, Charlie can see this on the live stream, pages, listen to this, pages and pages of fantasy booking coming in from people on the topic of Cena's last run. Um, it's taken off this, Charlie. People are loving this. It's brilliant. I, I think we were... When you pitched this idea to me of doing a wrestling podcast and you're like, look, why don't we do this sort of bit different? We do the conversations we have about fantasy booking, why don't we put them out? I was like, that's a really good idea. And I think secretly, I was like, that could get some real good feedback. If we get a few listeners, I think they're going to be the people who want to get involved. And I think we spoke about like, oh, it has the potential people to get involved, but I've been blown away by... First of all, the number of people who've got back to us, but also the depth they've gone into with their booking. Like, 
usually I can see on the stream, like people are sending like four, five, six, A4 worth pages printout of how they book it. It's just brilliant. And I know that if I wasn't recording this, if I'd be listening to this podcast, I know I'd be doing the exact same. I'd be listening going, that bald idiot Beckett, he's getting this wrong. I'm going to email in how I do it and it's better. So I'm just loving that we're bringing that sort of joy, hopefully, to other people. And like we say, this is a community and these people who keep on getting involved if they want to, would love to have them on and record with us of how they do it. And hopefully we can get to that eventually. But it's just, it brought a real smile to my face when you sent me a text the day being like, we've had this many this many reactions on the email. It's, it's brilliant. Yeah, it is. I would recommend you do not call Charlie Beckett a bald idiot, even if you don't like what he's booking. It will it will not end well for you. It is not worth doing. Um, I tell you what we're going to do. We're going to do Darren, who's emailed us. Uh, we're going to do all his fantasy booking. And then we're going to do half of Andrew, who's also emailed. Remember, this is uh, earning the push podcast at hotmail.com. But before we do either of them, Charlie, do you want to give us the concluding part of your Cena uh, retirement angle. I'll do mine next week, but we'll hear the final bit of yours. When we left things, John Cena had just turned heel to win his 17th World Championship at SummerSlam. So why don't you pick up the story? My thought goes, I've thought a lot about this. A lot of my holiday was dominated by toing and throwing on what I was going to choose to do with this. So my thought going into it is, I want to give John one last run of five great matches. That's my plan. So I want to have five great matches with the story running through them. So hopefully that's what I'm doing. So Monday Night Raw, night after SummerSlam, Cena comes out to open the show. I'm hoping he's getting booed. That's my plan. Finally, everyone's just booing him out the building. And he just walks to the middle of the ring, belt round in a suit. He's fully in his, one of his, you know, one of his horrible suits he wears for interviews, like the horrible garish colours he's always wearing. He's in one of them, not in his uh, hospital loyalty respect stuff. That John Cena's gone. He's always in a suit when we see him, like corporate Cena. And he just stands in the middle of the ring. The booze died down. He says, I don't understand why you're booing. Isn't this what you internet wrestling community always wanted? You're finally getting healed, John Cena. Booze, booze, booze. Eris goes, you know what? I'm not sticking around for this. I'm back to Hollywood. I'll see you at the next pay-per-view. We then we don't see him until payback, which is the next pay-per-view along. But in the meantime, he's doing his interviews in Hollywood for... He's got coming out, he's got a Suicide Squad and he's got the Peacemaker show coming out in general, real life in Hollywood. So he's got to be out promoting them. So he's there and so he's doing the classic, the Today Show, Jimmy Fallon, Jimmy Kimmel, all the usual big American shows. And normally in those, when you see John Cena interviewed with them, normally, if you watch them now, he always talks about WWE. He's always bringing it up because in real life, John Cena loves WWE. I'm making a point of him not bringing it up. He doesn't take the belt with him. He doesn't bring it up. It has to be the interviewer who asks him. They have to ask about WWE. How is it being champion again, John? Are you happy to be back? And every time they do, you just see him getting more and more annoyed. And he's like, I'm not here to talk about WWE. I don't need WWE. They need me. I'm talking about whatever film he's promoting. I'm not John Cena the wrestler. I'm John Cena the star. So you're still getting the mainstream attention of John's WWE champion. But he does not want to talk about it. We're seeing a completely different John Cena in the press. At Payback... I've booked, just because I want to see this match again, John Cena versus AJ Styles. Because you look at their 2017 Royal Rumble match, and it's brilliant. And I want to see that, well, they had that those three matches, didn't they, um, in 2017? I want to see that again. They have a great 20, 25-minute match, some sort of shenanigans, ref goes down, Cena can't put Styles away, gets his trusty old pendant out, wraps around his fist, like he did to Ric Flair, like he did to Bobby Lashley, knocks him out with it, gets the one, two, three, cheats to win, 
disappears again. Just disappears. We don't see him until the next pay-per-view, which is Clash of Champions. Now, I almost went and booked John Cena versus Randy Orton again, but I thought no one needs to see it again. We don't need it again. Don't do that at <laughs> WWE. Don't fall into the trap I nearly did. But what I do want to see again is I want to see... Do you remember when Cena was facing Brock Lesnar and Edge came back to cut a promo about, where have you been, John? We need the old John Cena, all this. I want a callback to that. I want Edge to come out in the build-up to Clash of Champions and call out John Cena and be like, I'll bring the old John Cena back. I'll take that title from you and challenge him to a match at Clash of Champions. Just because I think they always had great chemistry together. They're into what intertwined each other's history. I think one more Cena-Edge match and we never thought we'd get to see. So I want to see that again. Another good match. This time Cena cheats with a low blow into an AA to win. So Edge is on top. He gets a low blow. The ref misses. AA gets the win. Now, next big pay-per-view is Survivor Series. And what should be happening is John Cena should be facing Roman Reigns as the two champions. But Cena just sends a video uh, package to be played on Raw saying he won't be at Survivor Series because his contract that he signed with Vince McMahon says that once he won the title, he only has to defend it. And he chooses when he defends it. So the title's not on the line, so he won't be at Survivor Series. He's busy doing other things. Um, that, again, feeds into... It's twofold, this. It protects Roman, because I wouldn't know who would want to win that. I don't want Roman Reigns losing, so I don't need to have that match. But also, it just feeds into that Vince has gone behind Triple H's back and given John this ridiculous deal, this stupid contract that if he wins the title, he can do what he wants, that he gets one more shot at it. And I'm just building up that Vince Triple H aggro, because I think one day there's a great story to be told there of Triple H taking over from Vincent Mann. So I'm building that sort of aggro in my WWE universe. Now, we've got a long time without seeing John Cena between Clash of Champions and TLC. That's three months we don't have the champ around. So in that time, you're going to learn in fantasy booking that I am a sucker for a tournament. So I'm going to have a tournament to find a new number one contender for TLC. And they don't have to be from Raw. They can come from NXT. So that anyone can join this tournament. And the man who wins this tournament is one Pete Dunne. Pete Dunne wins the tournament to face John Cena at TLC in just a normal singles match. It's not a TLC match. It's a normal singles match. Now, they have an unbelievable match. They go for 25, 30 minutes. And actually, Pete gets the gets John down for the one, two, three, but the ref is out. So the crowd go there one, two, three. Pete Dunne has had the WWE champion down. For all intents and purposes, Pete Dunne should be the WWE champion. Anyway, it doesn't happen. John then gets the avalanche attitude adjustment and Pete Dunne kicks out. And John Cena cannot believe him. He just picks him back up, takes him back to the top rope straight away, hits him with a second avalanche AA, which finally gets done. But I want to put Pete Dunne over as the one of the next big things here. After the match, we almost see the old John Cena. He looks at Pete Dunne across the ring. He shakes his hand, raises his arm, and was like, oh, this is weird. And then just low blows him. And Pete Dunne goes down in the middle of the ring and just gets the, you can't see me. So then John disappears again, as he does, but he's back for the Royal Rumble. At the Royal Rumble, it's John Cena versus Keith Lee for the WWE title. And Keith Lee absolutely dominates John. Just dominates him physically. Just absolutely battering him. But he just can't put him away. Three times... John just gets a slight little rope break as he's about to get to three. Like, it, it, it can't be more one side of this match. But again, Cena resorts to cheating. Low blow. AA. 
kick out. And John cannot believe it. Goes to the AA again. Kick out. Tries to go for the Avalanche AA, but can't get Keith Lee up there. He's just too big a boy. He's a big old boy. Can't get him up there. John just losing his mind. Some sort of shenanigans. Ref down. The pendant does it again. The trusty old big chain round the wrist puts Keith Lee out. But he has to hit him twice with it. So I want to put Keith Lee over as well because I'm trying to build new stars on Cena's run without him having to lose to them. I want these people to have the rub of taking heel Cena further than he could. He has to cheat more and more. He has to turn darker and darker to put these guys away. Also at the Rumble, our big mate, Drew McIntyre, wins the Rumble again. Now, I know he won it last year, but where I'm going with this, I want I want people to know that Drew is the face of the company going forward. Drew is your new John Cena. He is the new man on Raw. And I just think he deserves his time in the sun where he didn't get it when he should have over Brock in front of the crowd. And the work he's done the last 12 months as champion of the pandemic, I think he deserves this, Drew. Drew wins the Rumble. Next night he comes out and says he's going to challenge John Cena. He says, if you can keep it till WrestleMania, Cena, there's another pay-per-view before then. To which John says, starts laughing, says, Drew, my contract with Vince... I'm only contracted to have five title defences up to and including WrestleMania. I've done four, so I'll see you in three months at Mania. I'm, I'm off again. Swaffy pops to Hollywood, and that means Drew has to carry the build, which I think he can do. Great VT footage. All, all the stuff WWEs do so well that we were speaking about earlier, their production value. That's how they build, this, build it. Until about four weeks out from Mania, Triple H comes out. We haven't seen Triple H on Raw for ages, and he's quite smug. And Triple H is still raging about what John Cena did to Ric Flair back last summer before SummerSlam. And he's still angry with Vince as well for going behind his back and giving him this, this, um, this deal. He says, I've been using my be- the best contract lawyers in the land. We've, we've gone through John's contract with a fine-tooth comb and we've found a loophole. And the loophole is, Cena might have these five matches up to including WrestleMania. They're the only defence he has to have. But if he loses any of them, he has to retire. So, if John loses at WrestleMania, that is him done. He has to retire. And then he says, let's see if that gets your attention, John. Let's see if that gets you to Raw next week. Anyway, John comes to Raw next week in his suit with lawyers. I want to have, like, a ridiculous number of lawyers. Like, I want, like, 10 to 20 lawyers coming to WrestleMania, uh, to Raw (laughs) with John Cena. Like, hilarious amount. But... Whatever Triple H has done, whatever his lawyers have found, I don't know contract law. They found some loophole that cannot be closed. That's what's happening. It's Cena versus Drew. If Cena loses, he retires. It has to be the main event of WrestleMania 38. It's in Hollywood. John's made a big thing about Hollywood's my home now. So this is where I live. Of course, I'm going to win here. This is this is where I thrive. They have a 30-minute classic. It's just a to and fro. They kick out of each other's finishes. Drew kicks out of the Avalanche AA. Cena kicks out of two Claymores. As he goes to the five-knuckle shuffle, you see Cena purposely divert and shoulder-tackle the ref. He's put the ref down on purpose. He looks at the hard cam, shrugs his shoulder and smiles, gets his pendant round his wrist and just puts Drew down with it. Looks him on the floor, thinks, nah, that's not going to be enough. Picks him up again like on his knees and whacks him again. He then picks the ref up, puts him on his shoulders, AA, and then I want the closest two and nine-tenth count you've ever seen here. This is Drew's time to shine. Because at this point, you think he's going over. He's hit him twice with a pendant that's put everyone out, and then an AA. One, two, he kicks out. John cannot believe it. And then Drew almost does like a Hulk up, like just powers up, goes like full Scottish psycho. And he's just staring at Cena. 
And you know when like he does that and Drew's like veins ripple, it's almost a bit weird. You think, is he an alien? I want like that sort of like rage coming out of him. Anyway, he just goes huge Scottish psycho, just absolutely destroys Cena for two or three minutes, finally puts him where the claymore. One, two, three, Drew wins the title, Cena's got to retire. Huge pop for Drew, have his celebration, leaves the ring, and we've just got John Cena lying in the middle of the ring. He slowly gets up, walks to the top of the ramp, turns round, and I'm hoping by this point he's getting cheered and clapped, takes a bow, and walks to the back. And I don't want to see him again until he gets inducted into the Hall of Fame, because I don't want him to do a Shawn Michaels-esque speech, because we did that right at the start of this, when he faked it. So actually, all the video footage, all the adulation he deserves from people, we've had that when we thought he was retiring 10 months ago, 9 months ago. Let him ride off into Hollywood to have his career, give him the 17th title, put some new stars over, cement Drew as the face of Raw, and let's have that final Cena heel run that we've wanted for so long. That That's how I'd do it. He has to finish the main event of WrestleMania, I think. I think certain stars deserve that as their as their last match. I think he's one of them. That's how I do it. It might it's very it can be very different to what you've done. It'd be very different to what the guys done. People might like it, people might not like it. That's how I would book John Cena's retirement. Well, firstly, it gets a huge round of applause because that is a tour de force. That Thank is an much. epic uh, way to book it. Um, I'm going to let you have a drink of water because that is a, that was like a proper Shawn Michaels in Montreal length promo. That just went and went. It was fantastic. Um, two questions, okay? Here's the first question, and we're going to get on to Darren and Andrew in a minute, and I'll do mine next week. You have been the biggest critic I know of Brock Lesnar being a part-time champion so you must know what i'm going to ask now cena appearing disappearing coming back in a few months time how how do you square that in your fantasy booking because he's turning heel so it should make me angry that's my thoughts that would angry i hate part-time champions because i feel it's disrespectful to the title and to the company i just think that's that's the way you've got to turn cena heel because he's such a company man he's always towed the line to see anti-WWE John Cena, that's why I was so I felt it was so important that when he's doing his Hollywood interviews, he's quite clearly anti-WWE, because that's a Cena we've never seen before. So that's my thought on that. I, I If they booked this, I would hate John Cena, but I'd be like, oh, okay, WWE, I see what you're doing, but I do hate him. Okay, I can buy that. I can buy that. That makes sense to me. Um, James on social media, they say uh, you have to have Cena go over uh, in his final match. It's the ultimate lol Cena wins. Um, I would like to see Vince raise his hand and have them both standing on tattered Nexus t-shirts. I will always die mad about that angle. Um, Before we get on on to the other ones we've had come in, you mentioned uh, Cena, AA, Keith Lee, Keith Lee being a big old boy. Could you lift Keith Lee if you had to? Oh, I don't know. That's a very good question. I think maybe, maybe. I'm not going to say yes, but maybe. I'd give it a good go. I might even do a little jump to help me. Come on, Keith, give me a hand. <laughs> I, was just, I was just thinking when you were saying that, I was thinking, Charlie's the athlete here. I wonder if he could get Keith Lee up. I mean, I know you, you could toss around Dominic Mysterio like it was no one's business, but I'm just thinking, could you could you handle Keith Lee? If if Keith's listening, I'd happily, when COVID's allowed, I'll fly to you or you fly to me and we'll give it a go. 
We'll give it a go, Keith. I doubt you're listening, but if you are, I'm happy to give that a go. I, th- this, this is like going to be um, the old Lex Luger body slam challenge with Yokozuna, except it's going to be <laughs> you and me in, in, in a renter car trying to track down Keith Lee to body slam him. Not on a US Navy ship like it was with uh, Lex and Yokozuna. <laughs> we'll do it on a pedalo or something off the coast of Cornwall. We'll manage to make it happen there. Um, right, okay, so we've got loads of other ones to get through. Um, we're going to do half of Andrew's in a moment, but this comes to us from Darren. He says, here's how I would book John Cena's retirement run. Uh, It's Monday, June 28th, 19 years and one day since John Cena debuted versus Kurt Angle. No spoilers, no nothing. Raw kicks off with fireworks and hopefully at this point fans and we're welcome to Monday Night Raw. Just as the announcer is about to announce the first match, John Cena's music starts and out he comes, marching to the ring in true Cena style. As he stands in the ring, either soaking up the noise or looking at the Thunderdome, he welcomes us to Monday Night Raw and says the champ is here. He goes on to explain that we know what is about to happen. He says he has to be honest and that this is the beginning of the end. He'll always love the WWE, but at the age of 44-45 he has to learn to let go of the thing that made him who he is today. He doesn't know when it will all end, but he knows that it is over the next little while that you'll be seeing some more of him till they head towards that end. As Cena goes to leave the ring, Randy Orton enters. Randy Orton walks down to the ring and they exchange looks, but eventually shake hands. Orton goes on to talk about how much their career has been similar, and in fact, some would say that Orton has been better. Fewer, shorter title reigns, longer, more established runs as a champion, and more WrestleMania victories, but that doesn't mean that Cena isn't a legend. He should be held in high regard, but the thing about legends is they don't last forever, and this snake sees an opportunity. So, says Orton, John Cena, watch your back. When you least expect it, I will strike, but of course with the greatest of respect. As Orton leaves the ring, Cena looks on, and as Orton walks up the ramp, Cena says that Orton isn't going to stop him doing what he came here to do tonight, and that is fight. So to anyone out there, says Cena, you want some? Come get some. Miz and Morrison walk out. Both men start to attack Cena, and as Cena is down, Orton makes the save, and the match is made for that night. Orton and Cena versus Miz and Morrison. A few days later, Smackdown happens, and who should appear but John Cena, who says he's loving being back and has the honour of being able to show up on Smackdown as well as Raw. So the same goes. If you want some on Smackdown, come and get some. But before he finishes, he says, actually, there's only one person he wants, and out comes whoever is the Intercontinental Champion at the time. Cena explains that the Intercontinental title is the only thing that's eluded him, And he isn't demanding a title shot because that isn't how Cena does things, but he wants to earn it. Adam Pearce comes out and says that sounds pretty good to him and puts Cena in a match against whoever the IC champion is in a non-title match. And if Cena wins, Cena gets a title shot. Cena wins a match as you would expect him to. So the match is made for SummerSlam. Cena versus the IC champion for the title. Cena wins. And as he's celebrating, Orton attacks him out of nowhere. Cena becomes exclusive to SmackDown as he is a champion but can't stop thinking about Orton. Cena goes on to defend the title in rivalries throughout the next few months, but at Survivor Series, Orton attacks him again and this time costs him the belt. He leaves him motionless in a bad way, punt to the head, blood everywhere. The Viper has never been so fierce. Everyone makes a big deal about Cena being finished and he's not heard from or seen since Survivor Series. Well, the Royal Rumble comes along and surprise entrant John Cena returns and eliminates Orton. 
Cena eliminates himself and chases Orton around the arena and gives him an attitude adjustment off the platform as the match goes on. They brawl like mad, from the Rumble all the way to Mania, and you've basically got yourself an Austin Rock at WrestleMania 17 situation. The match is on for Mania, which Cena wins. He says his goodbyes, leaves WrestleMania on a high, high-fiving the fans, and leaves his sneakers and armbands in the middle of the ring as he walks up the ramp with a you-can't-see-me at the top. That's Darren and how Darren would book it, Charlie. That's a second scenario, or rather a first scenario, uh, where you've got Cena going over and actually going out on top. You know what? I said in my booking I didn't want to see Randy and John, and it, but I was very tempted because they have. They are the ongoing story that will never end, are they? And the problem was WWE overbooked them in that late noughties, early tens. They were just all we saw. But there was a reason for that because they're two of the best ever. And actually, Brooks right, it is a great story. I'm sure they'd have a great match, and I really like that. I also love Cena going after the IC title because it is the one he hasn't had. That makes him the fabled Grand Slam champion. Uh, I really enjoy that. Uh, I, I would not be unhappy to see that, how Cena ends. And actually, if he does go over, it has to be, it can't be, sorry, at the expense of younger talent because that has been the one thing that has been angled at Cena for so long is that he gets his shovel out and buries people. So if he is going to go over and you want to have him win, it has to be over someone like Randy. It has to be over an established star who he has history with. If you put him over someone who's young and upcoming, I think you're going to have a real issue. But no, I really enjoyed that. I really do. I also love the detail of that, the dates, everything. I really enjoyed that one. You think that's detailed? Wait till this next one we've got coming up. This is from Andrew. We're only going to do half of this one, Andrew. Half this week, half next week. Uh, remember, you can get involved at Charlie underscore Beckett, at Jack underscore Murley, earning the push podcast at hotmail.com. Uh, this is Andrew. She says, hi, guys. First, let me say congratulations on the podcast. It's sounding great. And I'm quite jealous that I didn't come up with the idea of a fantasy booking podcast myself. I've loved doing this kind of stuff over the years, so I'll definitely be listening every week and I'll try to send in my ideas as often as I can. I thought both of your starts for Cena's last run were very intriguing. I'm one of the many fans who has wanted to see a Cena heel turn for years now, and I also think The Miz is the perfect guy to get the upper hand on Cena given their history. While I wait to hear what happens next, I thought I'd throw my own ideas into the mix. I started writing it and then realised it was getting quite long, so rather than emailing it all, I've sent an attachment. Apologies for the essay you're about to read. I think I may have gone a little over the top. I take it week by week, and my thinking is this should be a Cena Rock type of rivalry, a passing of the torch moment, albeit not exactly the same since Reigns has gone heel. I hope you get a kick out of reading it, if nothing else, and I look forward to hearing the next steps in your own scenarios with thanks from Andrew. Well, firstly, Andrew... This is a guilt-free podcast. You can go as long as you want with your booking scenarios. You can be the Shawn Michaels Bret Hart of booking. So, this is how Andrew would book it. To set the scene on SmackDown, Roman Reigns has dominated the competition throughout 2021. After seeing off Daniel Bryan and banishing him from SmackDown, because I agree that an NXT run would be excellent, so let's say he goes there... Reigns fends off challenges from Cesaro, Nakamura, Rollins and Braun Strowman after Strowman moves to SmackDown in the October draft. Jimmy Uso falls in line and the brothers win the tag titles. With Paul Heyman by their side, the trio seems unstoppable. At the turn of the year, and from the start of January, vignettes start hyping up Cena's return, all ending with the screen fading to black before the words, John Cena returns soon, appear. Meanwhile, Reigns and the Usos prepare for the Royal Rumble. Reigns will defend his title against Goldberg in a match that was originally scheduled for last year's Mania, while the Usos are in the Rumble match itself. 
At the Rumble, Reigns beats Goldberg, while the Usos get targeted by the same guys that Reigns has been beating up through 2021, but they survive until the very end. The commentators speculate about whether Cena could end up in the match, but he doesn't show up, and the match comes down to Jimmy and Jay and the eventual winner. It's from Raw, so let's say it's someone like Drew or Keith Lee, but it really doesn't matter from here on out. On the post-Rumble Smackdown, Reigns is addressing the WWE Universe, hyping up the main event slot. He comes to the ring flanked by the Usos and starts off by criticising the Usos for not being able to get the job done in the Rumble match and reminds them that failure is not tolerated. If they come up short again, he'll have to take action. Reigns points out that he's beaten everyone who's been put in his way and turns to celebrating his own win over Goldberg. He wonders if there's anyone brave enough to stand up to the head of the table, which is when Cena's music hits. Cena comes onto the stage and says he wants some, so he's gonna come get some. Cena even says that though he hasn't been around much recently, he's been watching Reigns closely over the last couple of years and has seen the cheap way that Reigns has got to the top of the mountain. He's taken shortcuts in matches, he's surrounded himself with yes-men, and he's aligned himself with the devil himself, Paul Heyman. Cena says he was happy to retire and move on with his life, but the thought that Reigns was destroying a reputation of respect that he spent years building around world titles forced into his hand. Cena reminds Reigns that he's one world title away from breaking the record, so if Reigns is looking for challengers, look no further than Cena, as the show goes off the air. On the next SmackDown, Reigns and Heyman walk right past Kayla Braxton as she tries to get them to respond to Cena's challenge. After several attempts throughout the night, she finally gets Heyman to come out of the dressing room. Heyman says that after discussing all options with the Universal Champion, they don't think Cena is deserving of a title shot, since being in crappy movie sequels is doing nothing to impress the Tribal Chief. Heyman says WWE has moved on since Cena was a regular in the locker room, and his days of being able to dictate what goes on around here are over. He can't just walk into world title matches whenever he likes anymore. Heyman points out that last week Roman challenged the Usos to prove themselves again, and here's an opportunity. If Cena, says Heyman, can find anyone who doesn't mind see being seen with a parody of a wrestler, they can take on the Usos at Fastlane. And only then, if Cena can find a way to win, will they consider doing him a favour and giving him a shot at Roman Reigns. Cena opens the show coming up next, that's the next Smackdown, via satellite to accept the challenge. He says that Heyman is right and times have changed, but not everything has changed for the better. Cena has shown more integrity in doing his own stunts on movies than Reigns has done doing whatever he can to keep hold of the Universal title. Cena says that after the last couple of years, the locker room will be lining up to get a shot at anyone even remotely associated with Reigns, so he'll make some calls and announce his partner for Fastlane in the middle of the ring on next week's SmackDown. Throughout the show, anyone who says they want to be seen as partner gets attacked by the Usos, leaving potential options thin on the ground. On the SmackDown Go Home show, Cena is in the ring with a mic in hand when he's interrupted by Heyman. Heyman says he and Cena go way back. Heyman says he was watching Cena when he recruited Lesnar in Developmental. Heyman says he knew Cena had that aura about him, that he was a once-in-a-generation talent, but that he was lacking something. Heyman says the reason he chose to represent Lesnar over Cena back then is the same reason he represents Roman Reigns now, and the same reason that Cena has no chance of winning world title number 17. But those guys will do whatever it takes to win, and Cena won't. What Cena calls integrity, Heyman calls softness. Heyman says the last time one of his clients went one-on-one -on -one with Cena, Cena got a one-way ticket to Suplex City and he walked away without a title. 
Heyman says he has a ton of respect for Cena, but after two years out of the game, he has even less of a chance now against Reigns. Heyman says he doesn't want Cena to get stretched out to end his career, so the smart thing to do is forget about breaking the record and walk away. Well, Cena fires up. He says the reason he talks about integrity is because he's seen firsthand what kind of impact it has on people. Cena says he's done thousands of make-a-wishes. He knows how powerful it is when he tells people to never give up. He says Reigns used to be the kind of person who inspired people, but he threw it all away when he sided with Heyman. Cena says he would be a hypocrite to turn his back on all the people who live by the mantra of never give up. If he walked away now, he'd betray everyone who supported him. So no, John Cena will not back down. Cena reminds Heyman that he put up a challenge for Fastlane, and while the Usos have done a pretty good job of running anyone off who may have fought alongside Cena, Cena says after seeing superstar after superstar taken out, he realised he'd have to look outside of SmackDown for his answer. So he got to thinking about who has a score to settle with Roman Reigns, and who might answer his call with a yes, yes, yes. And Cena announces that at Fastlane, it'll be the Usos versus John Cena and Daniel Bryan. That is where we'll leave it for now. Half of Andrew's booking of it. I got a bit of the goosebumps on the old forearms there, Charlie. I don't know about you. Andrew's doing a good booking, isn't he? And I want to know the rest right now. Oh, I know the rest right now. <laughs> That's really good. I'm not going to... I've got it here. I feel like I've got the spoilers to the end of the series, but I've uh, I've got another couple of pages on that that we will go into uh, next week. Um, that is fabulous. Look, get involved in this fantasy booking. This is this is where wrestling fans geek out. It's what we do. Um, Charlie underscore Beckett, Jack underscore Murley, earning the push podcast uh, at hotmail.com. We will read you the final bit of Andrews next week, and there's plenty of time for you to submit your fantasy book booking uh, on John Cena's last run. Right, time for a quick break. When we are back, what's annoying us and getting our goat in everyday life and what we would like to see more of, earning the push and back to developmental here on the podcast, so don't go anywhere. Okay, final part of the podcast. This is where we remember that as much as wrestling dominates our lives, we are just everyday people. We do not exist in a vacuum. And we apply the language of wrestling to those great things in life we want to see more of and those annoying things we wish to never see happen again. We're giving something in everyday life the push and sending something back to developmental. Uh, before we started recording, Charlie said, I've, I've got some good ones today. So I'm intrigued, Mr. Beckett. What, what have you got for me? So my back to developmental, I'm going to do second because it's quite niche, it's quite rogue, it's, gonna, it's going to reveal a side of me that mo- a lot of people don't know, one of my other loves. But earning the push for me is that we're starting to see fans back at sport, and I'm absolutely loving it. You saw our old stomping ground jersey at the Stade Santander two weeks ago, they had a thousand in, which I know how much that will have meant to all the lads playing and to the people of the island and those great fans over there, so that was excellent. Uh, my next game against Saracens on Monday, I think we can have up to 3,000 in at the Stonex, which is unbelievable that we're going to be the first time I've played in front of fans since February 2020, so I cannot wait for that. And then the big one for me is the 23rd of May, Sunday the 23rd of May, I believe it is, at Amptill, we can have fans back for the first time since early 2020, and it'll be my first time playing in front of Amptill fans, and I, as long as I'm picked. I absolutely cannot wait. I think... We've seen, we've talked about in wrestling, but in all sports, how important fans are. You see the difference it's made in football, in rugby, everything. So the fact that we are safely getting fans back into sport now is just the best thing for me, being a sports and being a sports lover. 
Uh, I've got tickets to go and see some of the England cricket in the summer. I'm going next weekend to watch my sister play in her uh, Premiership semi-final for Harlequins versus Wasps. Just the fact that I can go and watch sports and I can have fans back at my sports is just brilliant for me. And I'm absolutely loving it. So that's earning the push for me. Okay, I, I I'm going to jump in here. I can sense you're anticipating yours, and so I, I want to. I don't think mine will live up to it. So I'm going to do my two, and then we'll come back to your back to developmental. My back to developmental, and I won't dwell on this, is that Alan Partridge shrugging meme. Okay, the one that you see on social media of him, you know, eating food in a cagoule, whatever. Yeah, exactly that one. Because I only ever see it applied to women's sport being talked about on social media. And any bloke out there who think they're making an original point, who think they're being smart, who think they're being clever by replying to any social media post about women's sport with that Alan Partridge shrug, get in the bin. No one needs you getting involved. You're not changing the direction of the conversation. Ban that meme. Go and educate yourself, fellas. You're not big and you're not clever. I'm not going to dwell on that, but that's going back to developmental. I couldn't agree more. And if anyone wants to know about my thoughts on women's sports, I've written a few articles about it for Talking Rugby Union because just idiots online, it's always men, just belittling women's sport for no no point except it's women playing it is just the worst thing. So I could not agree more with you there. On a happier note, earning the push, and he doesn't need it, Elton John. I watched Rocket Man the other night, um, and it reminded me of how many good songs Elton John had. And you take for granted someone like Paul McCartney or Elton John or Mick Jagger, because they've always been there in your life. And then you watch something like Rocket Man, and you think, and I know I'm a couple, two, three, four years later on Rocket Man, but you watch it and you think, he was good. He sat down somewhere and he's banged out the tune for your song. He's banged out the tune for I'm Still Standing. He's been driving along and thought, ah, do you know what? Candle in the wind. Elton John is getting the push. Um, He is just, yeah, just as I was watching Rocket Man, I thought he needs to be flagged up. This is the only wrestling podcast where we'll be praising Elton John. I'm absolutely certain, but he is getting the push from me. Yeah, I've seen that from, first of all, I'd like to give a little push to Taron Egerton as well for how he plays him in the film. He's very, very good and his singing's excellent. But yeah, Elton John's got some absolute bangers. I'll follow you in on that. I'll push Elton with you. And you say he doesn't need it, but this is the one thing he hasn't had in his career. So maybe he's sitting somewhere now, getting a little goosebump, going, oh, so just happened there. It's that he's got the push from Jack Murray. So Elton will be buzzing with that, I'm sure. So go on, give me your uh, give me your back to developmental then. We've teased this. What is it? You're very excited about this. Right. So something a lot of people might not know or predict about is I'm a huge fan of musical theatre. I love musicals and I can't wait to be able to go back and watch them. I've got a long list of ones I need to see for the first time, ones I need to go back and watch. But I've been listening to a lot this week, the soundtrack to Joseph and the Technicolor Dreamcoat. And what I would like to send back to Developmental is there's a line in it about Jacob that says, a fine example of a family man. And I would like to send Joseph's father, Jacob, and his parenting skills and his family values Back to developmental, because that man is not a fine example of a family man. Let me explain to you why. One, he has 12 sons with multiple different women. And he's talking about all his different wives. And there's a line in it that says, Joseph's mother, she was quite my favourite wife. Well, first of all, having multiple is not a fine example of a family man. But let's continue. It happens. You do have more one. Yeah. Okay. You're allowed to have a favourite, I guess. Then he goes... I never really loved another all my life. He didn't even love any of his other wives, which is rubbish from him. 
Secondly, is parenting skills leave a lot to be desired? All right, I reckon parents, I'm not a parent, you're not a parent. I reckon parents secretly do have favourite children. They'll never admit to it, but I reckon they all secretly have one. Okay? Jacob didn't only admit to having a favourite son in Joseph. It says, Jacob wanted to show the world he loved his son to make it clear that Joseph was the special one. So he wanted everyone to know that Joseph was his favourite son. So he bought him this ridiculous coat. So he's then just belittling his 11 other sons. But finally, it's the other sons are the issue because he's raised these other sons to a point that when they find out that Jacob's the no, so that Joseph's the favourite, they don't just get a bit miffed to have a go at him. They decide they need to kill him. They get together, they love them, they go, well, the only option here is murder. How has Jacob raised his sons that they jump straight to murder? Now, the only redeeming point in any of this is that when they don't kill him, they suddenly realise they could sell him and earn some money, which is a little bit better than killing him. I think they've got some entrepreneurial spirit about them. But I just would like to send Jacob from Joseph the Technical and Dreamcoat and his family and parenting skills back to developmental because actually he's not a fine example of a family man. He's pretty rubbish. Right. I am not a believer in um, getting the wrath of the gods. But as you were saying that, the, I'm not making this up. The skies here in Cornwall have clouded over and it just started to thunder outside. I'm not even making this up. It started to hammer down here in Cornwall. Um, is everything okay at home, Charlie? I feel after that sort of one, I feel like I need to ask you that. Everything's absolutely fine. It's really good. I'm in a good place. Just Jacob is not a fine example of family. I don't want people to listen to that and modelling how they'll be husbands and fathers on his actions. No, that is not a good way to go. Okay, I feel. I feel like... I'm never going to be able to top that. Um, it is a hell of a musical, though. Um, so from two men who look handsome, who look smart, who are walking works of art, we'll knock this one on the head, I think. Um, it's It's been an absolute cracker this week. Look, um, at Charlie underscore Beckett is him. At Jack underscore Murley is me. Uh, earning the Push podcast at hotmail.com. Get involved in the fantasy booking or use us as a chance to sound off. Um, it doesn't have to be about the fantasy booking. It can be what you're loving in wrestling, what you're hating, what you want to see more of, what you never want to see again. Give me one prediction, Charlie, that we'll be talking about coming out of WrestleMania Backlash before we go home. How good Roman versus Cesaro is. I think that I've got very high hopes for that. Yeah, we shall see. We will let you know. We want your thoughts. But for now, time to call time on proceedings. From Charlie Beckett, from myself, Jack Murley, uh, thank you very much for listening to the Earning the Push podcast. We will see you again next week when we'll do it all again. But until then, bye-bye. <laughs>